saluto a tutti Ciao a tutti, welcome back to the AJC International Break Upon Us. We're going to talk about the international break. We're going to talk about Juventus news, getting ready for the big one. A measuring stick match coming out of that break. Lazio, the latest news, health and fitness. And fitness is going to come into play with international break. Looking at that potato field they were playing on yesterday, I'm actually glad Federico Chiesa probably wasn't on there and that Locatelli didn't get on there. But... We're going to tackle all things of such. First off, I want to say thank you to those of you from the AJC Army who joined me and supported me on Friday, which was the kickoff for Juventibus English, all right? On the Juventibus Twitch channel, we now have partnered up. We've got a great collaboration between myself, Michele from Juventino Apedes. We've got uh, Andrea from Stealma, who's uh, been here on our channel as well. Marcella from Juve Empire State. Um, Joshua from Pueblo Juve. So this is a great, great opportunity um, just to see the collaborations from the great content creators around the UVic community, all right? And that is going to be set to go every Friday, all right? And right now it's at set for noon, uh, my time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, okay? So uh, again, a great, great project there. I'm very excited and uh, happy uh, to be a part of, all right? But uh, thank you for those of you who supported there. And uh, we've got a lot of good stuff and fun stuff planned for that as we continue on with that project. All right. And it's fun to uh, mix up the languages, too. So we did get uh, some variances in languages and we played a little game there where, you know, me, I don't speak uh, some of the languages, French or whatnot, but trying to figure out what they were saying. And it was good. It's actually good for that, too. And we look to incorporate that in a way to strengthen even my Italian and whatnot through that show as well. So we mix it up. It's good for everybody, but a lot of fun. So look forward to that. Omar, my man, international break upon us. A lot of mixed feelings and stuff that we're going to get into. But first off, how are you doing, my man? I'm good. Um, I, I have to say I didn't get a whole lot uh, to watch a whole lot of the international break because I had a really busy weekend. I had some weddings and bachelor parties and stuff. Um, so I'm just going off what I heard, you know, highlights I watched and stuff. Don't don't take my word too seriously, but just my impressions. But yeah. overall, everything is good. Still summertime, so I'm enjoying myself. There Work you go. And he made it through the bachelor party. We didn't get uh, AJC on any headlines or anything for Omer's behavior mm -hmm. or whatnot. So that's good. And you came through unscathed in one piece. So money, my friend, money. There yeah, you go. went to a silence place so no one can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tony Trim coming in here. Ciao tutti. Disaster game yesterday. Alex P. Ciao tutti. Dave. Ciao tutti. Deserved for FIGC. We will talk about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Alex P saying, I've lost hope for the Azzurri, just hoping for no Juve player injuries. This has become my main thing with uh, international breaks, the amount of games uh, that are played uh, international, which we'll get into all that as well. But uh, hey, it's tough. And uh, good morning and afternoon from LJJ. Great to have you in here. Everybody's dropping a like as they come in here too. So fantastic. Thank you. Keep it going. International break deserved for FIGC, hoping for no Juve players to get injured, losing hope for the Azzurri. You know, we kicked this yeah. thing off and 
we will get into player performances. So far, the player performances out of Juve so far have been just fine. You know, Rabiot's been doing fine for uh, France in the game. Uh, Chesney recorded a clean sheet in uh, Poland's game there. There's obviously still some matches to come. The Azzurri, the next one will be, of course, uh, Ukraine, which now becomes a must-win match after what happened yesterday, which was the what's become the Azzurri's arch-nemesis, North Macedonia, Getting the draw 1-1, one, one, okay? And I don't know if you want to start Macedonia. with the game first or do you want to start with, like, international breaks in general and how you actually feel about them, Omar. Like, I- I'm going to say right now, you had a busy week, so you haven't been really connected. I, myself, personally, have just been somewhat disconnected for a while. Like, it's kind of just this thing that's developed where I'm not feeling as connected with the international breaks, to be honest. So it's it's just one of those things, and I'll get into what my thoughts are. Um, if you want to break into the Juve Azzurri thing, kind of right out of the hop, because right now it's become a touchy subject. Um, you have fans that feel no, they just couldn't care less anymore about the FIGC because of everything that's gone on with Juventus, and it's been this growing, developing thing. Um, you have others that can't break that bond because they actually came to Juventus through the Azzurri and the ties that we had, the links we always had. And, you know, no Juve, no party. I will say, you know, if you're going to associate the success of the Azzurri, there's always been some type of backbone or spine from Juventus. If you're going to look at the succeeding squads, there's always been that contingent whatnot of Juve with Juventus and the Azzurri you've seen this uh Juve start to stutter and trail off and whatnot and as we've done that obviously our ties to the Azzurri have linked off and obviously their success has also trailed off we they squeezed the last drops out of the lemon in that Euro with Juve's influence from Chiellini, Bonucci and Chiesa they squeeze the last drops out of the lemon and now there's not much there. And uh, I don't know, as far as a connection, for me, I will not support another nation or whatnot. I just won't do it, okay? Um, I will still support. But when I talk in terms of support, it's not going to be the way I support Juventus. Like Juventus, I'm, I put a lot of money into Juventus and my support for them, whatever. The Azzurri is different. Like I won't turn my back on them by any means. But I definitely, definitely have some bad feelings about it because of what's going on with Juventus and everything. And obviously the connection just isn't what it once was and has to be restored. So I got these feelings, but I'm not going to turn my back. I'm not going to not support the Azzurri. But Omar... How do you feel in this whole thing? And can you see it? Can you see both sides? Where do you stand with it? I don't even know what both uh, both sides are. I mean, look, the Juve connection has always been there. I dare you to find one rival fan who didn't want Chiesa on the field uh, yesterday. I'm not even going to mention Locatelli, but you still have to remember who Juve are and and what type of players they have and the effect they have on the Azzurri. And they were missing to, to some degree. But mostly what I've seen is you know, just 
the, the chemistry is not there. Not a single one of those players is playing with the other guy, like in the same setup, in the same defensive or midfield trio or, or whatever. It's just a FIFA game, play, placing players with a high rating wherever you want them in the formation. I, I feel distanced from international football. It become a toy, a toy for UEFA to exploit when they want money uh, without any, you know, consideration to what the teams have to deal with, to injuries, to just traveling a lot. I mean, everyone is complaining about it. Managers, football players, yeah. just club owners, everyone. And it doesn't seem like anyone gives a shit. They just keep scheduling stuff and we'll get to like what could be done in the future to improve that. But what has mainly become of football in general is too many games. It's been said over and over again on multiple platforms. And you know what? You know what makes me want to watch more football? Less football. I can't commit to a game every day, especially international break where there are Juve players playing all over. And I love football. I love watching it. Yeah. But when it, it's become this toy to exploit for money, it's, it's just, it's not interesting. Yeah. It's absolutely not interesting. And add to that, that Italy are devout of you, of Juve players. And they play just, I don't even know what their, what their type of football is, what their style is. And I am going to give, Spalletti, the benefit of the doubt, he was appointed very recently. He didn't even have a training match. I think that was his actual first match uh, with the team. So I will be patient. But to tell you that I would clear my schedule to watch an Azuri game, probably not. Probably if they're playing against England or something, yeah. Those North Macedonia, Ireland, whoever. If yeah. I'm available, I'll watch it because it's. I, I don't feel the connection that I once had. And you can clearly see it in the anthem sang at the beginning oh my god that's the first tweet i put when i saw it i mean outside of okay let's let's just start with the pitch okay because and i know alex p was talking with myself and anthony <laughs> on that on social media but that pitch was an absolute disaster okay absolute disaster i'm not even exaggerating i was i'm not even exaggerating when i tell you my men's rec league here locally wouldn't play on that garbage like, that's crazy. So I'm actually glad Federico Chiesa was safe and in Turin and that Locatelli was on the bench because that's piss poor. So I have a problem right there. And again, not for the Azzurian performance or anything like that, but literally for the player's health when clubs are the ones. Because this is it, okay, for me. I bec I'm becoming more distant from the Azzurri and more disconnected. I'm not going to cheer on another outfit or whatnot of course not these are my roots and whatnot when i grew up with my dad no matter where our relationship was so everybody has this kind of understanding where i'm coming from it was always juventus and the azzurri but there was always these close-knit ties between the two but make no mistake about it you know in 06 it started quite heavily and drastic i got over it okay last year it's just that kind of pain revisited and there is more distance created. There is more distance created now in that Azzurri connection for me. The Juve connection will always be number one, okay? I'm feeling that a bit. I will still support them. But I just, I don't know. For me, like, if you're going to be a club and you have no say 
in sending your players on international duty, okay? It's their it's whether they accept or not the call when the calls come. UEFA got to do better at making the conditions acceptable. Because a field like that shouldn't be considered acceptable for these guys to go and play on and that's a joke. It's yeah, an absolute there should be a standard. Joke. A standard by UEFA that they say this pitch is unplayable. It's ridiculous. It's yep. absolutely ridiculous. I think Alex P even told me yesterday they actually painted it green because it wasn't even like <laughs> it was just so bad. Like, and you could see it come through the television when you can notice it that far back, that zoom back from the tele angle. That's absurd. And whenever it would get to close ups, holy Christ, that is brutal. You could just watch a pass, a player making a simple pass. And the ball would just start hopping. You could see how rutted it was. It's just brutal. That's number problem number one when you're getting these guys going there. When we talk also the amount of games and everything that they're playing, okay? So here's uh, Alex P saying that in August for Conference League qualities, it was yellow. So there you go. Um, it just That's problem number one, okay? Now you want to get to the anthem. We'll get to the anthem. I, first thing I said, that was the most lifeless anthem singing i've seen from the squad in as long as i can remember um just it's just not the same it's not the same then i want to get to spalletti <clears throat> so I, I laugh at all the spalletti out immediately and how it kicks off and uh, immediately get him out of there one game in and you know the circumstances he's had to come in on and really having no wiggle room and having to get the success. But I will say this. I tweeted after that. I said this is exactly how I would expect. An immobile captain Azzurri era to begin. Which You're, is also a problem we'll get into in a second. You are. So uh, it really eliminates everything Spalletti said. In choosing the captain, I don't care if this guy is liked in the locker. I, I really don't care. He is symbolic of where it kind of needed to improve the most out of the team Mancini had and whatnot. And we are still going back to that. Now we are even giving this guy the armband for like the most mediocre performances I've seen up at that position. Um, and I know, who are you going to put in there? Whatever. I would have probably put Raspadori ahead of him. I would have probably put Retegi ahead of him. Like, whatever. But now, even the armband. And I will tell you right now, that front three was disgusting. Sacagne, Immobile, um, Politano. Holy shit. What yeah. a nightmare. It's no surprise to me. And then you add Cristante. In, I don't know. So one... Headed flick on in the Euro tournament that ended up to be crucial. And now all of a sudden, Cristante is a mainstay with the Azzurri? Get the fuck out of here. This guy is brutal. Brutal. But yeah. these are problems I had with the lineup. Like, it just immediately, like, brutal for me. The That front three and Cristante is like, holy Christ. But, Omar, Luke. go through... You know, your thoughts on, like, the Immobile captaincy, the lineup? Okay, so the Immobile captaincy, I don't see the benefit to it. I mean, he's, what, 33 now? 
34 this year, maybe. And he's been underperforming for six years. He's been there with Ventura. And what, what is to be gained? Because now you can't bench him. You just made him the captain. Are you going to take the captain armband from him? But he, but we do have possibly better strikers, younger, who would be leading the Azuri in the coming years. And most of them stayed at home. Uh, Retegi is okay. Some patch we got recently from Argentina or whatever, while Skamaka and Moiskin, who are, I believe, better and have better chance of excelling and need to start gaining this experience with the Azuri, they were left back at home. So now you have to play um, Immobile because he's your captain. I would have preferred Di Lorenzo. And that, that's the issue with them. Now, the call-ups were bad. I'm sorry, but the, the guys he called up, I mean, yeah, Udoji is one of them. We have yeah. like four, four left backs uh, who can play there and Biragi shouldn't be one of them. Yeah. But he is there. And he's another aging player who plays for not one of the top clubs, has never produced anything that's, you know, justifying there. While Parisi is at home, Udoji is with the U21, Spinazzola on the bench, and uh, Di Marco. All of these guys are better than him, but he's still being called. So Juve are, um, Italy are delaying the, the progression of the young guys who should be stepping in. And what and we complain about Mancini doing that a lot. Just give up on Verratti, on Bonucci, on Jorginho, on all of these guys. And Cristante is, again, one of them. Defensively, I mean, Mancini and Bastoni just doesn't cut it for me. I would much rather you pick as a pair who has some chemistry between them. Like, go even with, uh, with Romagnoli and Casale. At least they play together. And not from this season. They, they know each other better. They play in a four-man back line. It should be easier for them. Mancini is not impressive. Bastoni, I, I don't think i ever seen him play in a back four at Inter. Yeah. So there's a lot of missing stuff there. The midfield, you've talked about it. The attack, you've talked about it. I feel like Italy has the tools and they're doing everything they can to just not use them. And holding yeah, on to that team. About, we talk about uh, Tony Trim's comment here with... Um you know, producing a lot of talent over the last handful of years. I don't think it's on the way and will take time, but the FIGC is to blame for this. I mean, when it comes to producing a lot of talent, I think it's just, it all ties into, um, I really do believe this, but the league, the league and what they do and how they act and how these players, it all comes back to the same and grooming that next wave and having them ready. Like with the Azzurri, it's like been this thing where, now these players are getting cracks with the Azzurri later on and whatnot. And you have to bring this age down where that all of a sudden these guys are getting national team starts. I don't know if you remember in our group chat, in the AJC team chat, where somebody posted this player that, uh, I can't even remember the player, but he was like going to start for Spain or got a call up for Spain at like 15 or something. Yet another player and whatnot. And it's just, again, there's we're worlds apart in terms of grooming talent and whatnot. And another thing uh, Italy they could benefit from is something like France and working those um, citizenships with young talent too. If they start pressing young talent through the league and whatnot and they get can get breaks there, you could sometimes win on some of those players that 
have that dual citizenship and whatnot and uh, you can take advantage of moments like that but they definitely definitely have to change like whole the, scale the difference the difference between the two leagues is that france has been it's been kind of usual for them that their top talents don't play in the league until paris saint germain came so mbappe plays in the league some other players but most of them have always played abroad. Every team that you know compiled the, the French national team have played in different leagues and on the local leagues. And Italy are at the beginning of that. A lot of the guys, the young guys, are already traveling and looking for new pastors because the situation in Italy is bad. If yeah. you're a if you're a black player, you have to deal with racism. You don't have to deal with it in every league. Why would you stay when you have to deal with that? And they pay you more money. They give you more chances. They don't drag you out in a club like Spezia for three years and loan you to two other teams. And, you know, suddenly when he has to actually perform from a, for a bigger team, he flops and everyone calls him a flops and says he's a waste of money. But poor guy, I mean, I, I get why they're they looking for new places to play in. Uh, instead of Italy, because the situation we know, we talk about it all the time, it's not promising and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And it immediately affects the national team. Yeah. Immediately. I see it immediately in the, in the way they play, the, the approach to the game, the, the loss of, you know, the, the Italian core that, that you have that scream the anthem, the die on the pitch. All of this stuff is lost and... We'll get to that topic later, but all in the sake of playing this modern attacking football, um, which isn't working. It worked for Mancini. There, there were a lot of reasons behind it. I mean, Italy as a nation did great in that summer, possibly because of how they took COVID and how bad it was for them. And a lot of the athletes who were in the, uh, the Olympics and stuff, they all said, that they felt like they have to give an extra inch for the country who suffered a lot. And so that was like the back wind that they have to push them forward. And it also translated into the Italian national team. But now, I, I don't know, they look just like devout of any you no know, sense of belongings to the teams, to the, to the national team, to Italy itself. Became yeah. money issues, basically. There's got to be a big, big change there too. And like, again, I just, there was a core, there's a core, there's a spine, there's a backbone there that was there at the Euros that is gone as well. And it's contingency planning and it all comes down to that. And Juve, we've been talking about Juve's contingency planning for a while and them needing to get better at it and whatnot. And uh, with the Azzurri, I mean, it's no different from, but there's, plays back into the league and how the league is and the amount i've been saying this for a while like scattered across syria but the journeyman man you get these journeymen taking spots from kids and they're playing forever they're at 36 37 it's like okay man see you later like go down the ranks your turn to go down and get out of syria go to syria bay go to syria che if you want to play continuously or whatnot but it's time to get the next wave usher them in and give them moments you can't have young guns like fajoli and whatnot come in start talking about not feeling like opportunities are given there and when he was talking about it and potentially leaving the country and whatnot like that it's just it's not good you need your young guns staying at home and building them up so there's a lot of work to be done uh yeah by the figc and whatnot but from a standpoint of 
a Juventino with everything that went down last year, does that affect your association with the Azzurri? Has it? Yeah, obviously I, I love watching, I loved watching Italy and started watching Italy and be, becoming a fan because they had Juve players in there. I was a Juve fan before I was an Italy fan. And when they're missing Italian players and um, Juve players in the team, I, I feel a bit more distanced. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's going to be a tough patch for the Azzurri. I don't know when they're coming out of it, whatnot. But uh, Gugino Eddie saying, no, the reason the Azzurri is support all over the world by people of Italian origin is because it's our same blood. I know it will become another France. Well, you know, Camoranesi was one of uh, an absolute beauty. And uh, again, not of uh, Italian descent, but his contributions were absolutely massive. I mean, there's been a couple others as well. It's I have no problem here and there, but it's a way to help when you're not doing the main thing, which is getting that Italian uh, descent players, getting it done. And getting them groomed and getting them prepared for the the leagues, the national side in general. Like it's there's a big, big gap there from Italy. And we've been talking about this for a while, a long time. Okay. It's just uh again, it's something that we've got to do better at home before we can really go too far. Because I mean, we want to talk about uh and yes, Camo did, but again. From Ar- from Argentina. So again, I'm just saying, there's things we can do better. If Bremer had the opportunity, and he did have the opportunity, to be Azzurri or Brazil, I would have taken him in a heartbeat. I would have taken him in a heartbeat for the Azzurri. Would you, uh, Omer? Oh, hands down. I, I think that's the like the worst lot of of defenders we ever had. Yeah. Even like, if you look across all the big teams, like how many of them has an Italian defense? Yeah. Mancini and Bastoni, I had to watch yesterday, partnering up in a back four. Mancini, like that guy is brutal. So yeah. and if these opportunities, play if these opportunities arise for the Azzurri, I wouldn't shy away from it for for that. That's just me. If in if you have Italians that are ready, willing, and capable, whatnot, that's great. Okay, but I'm telling you, when your talent pool is lacking and you have opportunities for like like that, it can be the difference. It can make a big difference. So it's just something else to look at. But we all agree the main thing is to get these Italians groomed up better. Okay, and they've got to change their ways back home through the league and everything. Now, and to some degree, that's FIGC's uh, responsibility too, because it's uh, a thousand percent their responsibility. No. Where where do all the young guys come from? Do they grow through the youth ranks of the bigger teams, or do you have to buy them from Brescia and Bari and all of those clubs, and they start the way very low? And if they have luck, someone buys them early, and if not, you notice them by their when they're 25 and then they play their first Azuri match when they're 27 or 28. Yeah. It just, it's not a good grooming system for Italian talent and the clubs need to do more to, to, to actually use it their takes, talent pool. 
It takes money to make money is one one saying I could sum up for just Italy in general that they don't seem to want to grasp when it comes to football, the footballing world. There should be incentives based for clubs that are pushing through the younger talent and say set a yeah. cap to it or some and say, you know what, here's your here's your kickback for doing that because ultimately it's helping us groom younger talent. Like there should be something that gives them some type of motivation, some type of incentive to start doing it if they're not going to do it on their own, which is what's happening. And yeah. something's got to be done. Juve fires up next gen. These guys are proving they're able to compete and able to contribute in the league. Okay, that's at a club like Juventus. And I know that they're saying that, well, teams don't have the money to fire up a next gen or whatnot, but there is definitely, definitely, if you're telling me that Inter, okay, is 850 million euros in debt, whatnot, but they can go all transfer Mercado, buying all the, I have no idea, like they're just delaying the inevitable, but they can't fire up a next gen. Milan can't fire up a next gen. Um, Roma can't fire up a next gen. Lazio can't fire up a next gen. Then you know what? FIGC step up, help out, do something, figure something out, give incentives to clubs to run them through their main roster. Then like, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. It just can't stay the way it has. That's That's just me. That's just me. Also, maybe we need to consider just maybe, um, three-man back line i mean most of italy's defenders play in a three-man back line for their teams both mancini and bastoni play on either sides of a three-man back line if you throw in gatti i have no problem like playing darmian gatti and bastoni in a three-man back line yeah no problem i think it will be better than what we're getting right now then you get some more Right wing backs, left wing backs, which suits more to guys like uh, Doji and Di Lorenzo, maybe. But something isn't working. And okay, I looked at the team that played against Sweden when we didn't qualify uh, for the World Cup in 2018. I mean, it was better than what we saw yesterday, at least defensively. The attack was horrendous, but. You still had Buffon, Chiellini, Barzali, Bonucci. So you had some sort of spine. When I look at the different areas of the field of this Azuri team, there's no connection whatsoever between any of them. Just 11 guys who don't play together trying to play football. Yeah. that Just end the play. If you just want to, like, there's not much to really summarize. Like, it's just, I didn't see anything crazy as far as new schemes, sequences, or anything that was really going to look great or anything and i mean again it's just super super toothless uh up top there a couple chances missed uh immobile um bolitano but you need these guys are not cut like i wouldn't have i i don't know like i just i, I would definitely not have started those guys like they're just look the situation is bad right now because now italy has to win against ukraine who just drew with England. We still have to play against England at Wembley. And there are a total of six games. I mean, yesterday was a must win. Yeah. Must win. And we didn't get that. So I'm not even sure we're getting that against Ukraine. And if we also draw or lose this match, we're like, you know, one leg out of out of the Euros already. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's big. 
The Ukraine match becomes big for them. Um, what they're going to do, who knows. What he's going to dial up for a lineup, I don't know. But definitely, definitely some changes have to be made there for me anyways. I just didn't like it. But Ella had the free roam role and whatnot. And uh, just not enough. It's just not enough. And uh, I feel like you would have been better off splitting up uh, Cristante and Tonali. Especially after watching it go on for that long at some point make the changes and Spalletti didn't even react until it was equalized and yeah I don't know Zaniolo came on um, started off really really strong and then faded people want to go all in on him on that foul yeah kind of a stupid foul but I mean there was another two fouls given across the side on the right side uh, right flank for North Macedonia again in a dangerous area so it is what it is they just stopped friggin' playing and then He's throwing the kitchen sink and you see Beragi come off the bench like all of a sudden this is going to be the game changer or whatnot. Nonto probably should have been in there from the start. Um, I would have probably had him in there for the start, definitely. Uh, but Politano, brutal, brutal. Now, uh, brutal. We're, yeah, it's just brutal. There's not much to say other than the fact, like I said, it becomes crucial on, uh, I believe it's Tuesday, Ukraine. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. But international breaks in general we talked a bit about this already too many games and whatnot but like i don't know i brought up on the last daily update video doing your qualifiers run them through the summer and then if the guys have to have a little bit of a break afterwards um let them carry on that break and then at least miss them for camp maybe just a beginning of the season for a game or two whatnot but stop interrupting the actual campeonato this also gives teams opportunities to react if something does go down because if you're going to do it and break up the campeonato and have it through there well the window's closed so all of a sudden if you have a team that loses a key cog and obviously it's going to be a key cog because it's an international break you're not taking the ruganis of clubs you're taking their upper echelon players at least they can react through the mercado should something happen this is just something I said, like, go back to doing them, you know, summers and extending their breaks or whatnot rather than break up Campeonato. How do you feel about that? And I see the Storm the Barns coming in. Sorry, beautiful. Keep it going. We are going to have, obviously, time for Storm the Barn, as always. But, Omar? I, I will do exactly what you said. We, we've talked about this in the past. I mean, we okay, every season we have four international breaks. Four? Yeah, we have September, October, November, and March. Every season, two weeks that the players leave for international duty, some of them come back injured. Eliminate those breaks, have the season run regularly, week in, week out, with Champions League and whatever, everything stays the same. But then you finish the season by May. You can run every year. That's something to look for. One month between May and June, where we actually play because of the international breaks, Make a little tournament every summer. It's within the, the, the capabilities of the players to play up until June. And they have, what, six games, eight games. You can shove all that. They, they play every three days anyway on the international break. So make a little tournament out of it at the end of every season. I'm sure it will have a lot. You can rebrand it and everything, qualifiers, whatever you want. And then people will actually sit down to watch it because they're not waiting for club football to come back. The players will be, even if someone has an injury, 
it has to be for like more than three months yeah. to keep him from the team. So there's a lot of benefits to it. I, I really doubt UEFA would do anything like that, let alone FIFA. But that's the way I see it should be. Because yeah. it will generate more views, it will keep the players in better shape. We as viewers will get to watch the, the players we like most and our best players play for most of the season because they don't get injured on international duty playing potato fields in Macedonia. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, but again, I'm with you. I just I don't think they'll ever do it. But that is the way to go, in my personal opinion, uh, just a lot easier. It's it's again, it's one of these things where you have the organizations, OK, that are running things, but it's the clubs that take on all the risk. You also if you lose a player, there is insurance there that's available to the clubs if you lose a player, but it only kicks in if they're unavailable to you for a certain period of time which i think yeah. kicks in after like two months so if you're shy of missing a player for two months let's say we lose chiesa for 50 days that's still huge for juventus that's massive yeah, that's, a, that's a big hit for that's season. massive so you don't get reimbursed you don't get compensation the mercado is closed you can't react like this is crazy. It's it's crazy. And again, it's because the organizers that are running it, but the clubs take on all the risk and whatnot, and they have no say in it. So it should be their duty to make it best for the clubs involved that they're pulling the talents from and whatnot. But again, you know, with these organizers, it's no different than the issue that we saw finding ourselves in with uh, UEFA and Champions League. The clubs started this super league thing they want better reimbursement they're the ones putting their players putting everything up there and they're getting small pieces of the pie when literally uefa is just an organizer that's all they are they have nothing yeah. to do with anything they don't take in any of the salary costs they don't take in anything it's a glorified organizer there's nothing they stopping the money. all these clubs from doing that but they take the money from the tv rights that's exactly that's exactly and you have 15th place or whatever in England getting as much money as your winner or whatnot. It's like something's got to happen here. So for the teams to want to do that, it's mm. hilarious. But, you know, we know what we heard for the greatest football, wish. for the love of football and whatnot. But where's that love of football when now all of a sudden, you know, they're getting pissy about us? Nothing's changing. There is no underdog stories. Very rarely are you going to find an underdog story. This love of the football. You want love of the football? Put in a global uh, salary cap if you honestly cared that much about football. But they don't. It's about money. Always has been. Always will be with them. It's not. It's not only them. I, I think in in general in football today we just see it. I believe it, it's always been like that. But the big guns, all the big guns, they don't really want competition i mean fans of big clubs they just want to see their club run over every team in the league five nil six nil and they they have no interest in level playing field for everyone paris Saint germain don't care about the other teams in the league they don't play to, to, to keep the game uh, level for everyone they want to run away with the league win the championship every season spend billions of dollars that no one else can spend that's the the sad reality of football it kind of shows the the worst parts of humanity the, the chase after uh, dominance and power and trampling the the weak that's what yeah. most football fans want too they want to see their team trash other teams all the time but when it does happen it becomes a bit boring 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't follow international rugby, Dan. I do not. I but I but I did see France. Uh, I think they beat them. They beat New Zealand, and Kylian Mbappe was in the crowd. Um, I think it was the World Championship. It looked like he was trying to figure out the game and <laughs> like watching yeah. the... <laughs> yeah, it was it's a relatively easy game. I've traveled to New Zealand so I've got to see some. I, it's actually a brutal sport. It, it's really fun to watch. Um, but that's a topic for a different podcast. We have a rugby podcast on Thursday, every Thursday. <laughs> oh man. You imagine not not with me. Swati, no. what would be your starting midfield and front line for Italy with everybody fit? Okay. Um, if it is Spalletti, then I want to see some something similar to what we saw from Napoli last season. It was a three-man midfield, but Zielinski was the one pushing up. I want to see Lorenzo Pellegrini in that position. And I think Tonali as the defensive midfielder and Barilla. That would be my top three picks. What was it? Sorry. So, sorry. Go ahead. Pellegrini. Pellegrini, Tonali, and Barilla. In your midfield. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I might uh, have mixed it up and gone Pellegrini ahead of just slightly ahead of three midfielders. And go mm-hmm. with like a striker and a Chiesa up top, but with the striker thing, it and I think you just kind of change it up a bit. Um, but I'm I, I thought just about think it need... too. What's that? Because I thought about it too because of the winger situation. If I mean, if you have to play uh, Zakani and Politano, then maybe four three three is not the lineup for us. Yeah, and you maybe just just mix it up. It's 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 tough in the in the middle of the pitch with uh, Locatelli's got to be in there. It's got to be in there. Like we got to get serious here. Um, I'm fine even playing uh, Pellegrini uh, to the left of him and whatnot, and still playing as a box to box there with Barella on the other side, and then Locatelli. It's it, people think it's hard to hold Tonali out of uh, the lineup and whatnot, but to be honest, like Tonali for me is more of a defensive mid. Um, just the way I watch him play, I I think he's kind of. I don't know. He, he can get involved up top and everything, but he's more defensive uh, than anything. But that that's just how I see him. But I'm fine Tonali or Locatelli, but Locatelli should be in the heart of that midfield, I think. Um, and that's not a Juve bias by any means. I just think he should. Take your pick of Tonali and uh, another mid on the left side. Barella, okay. I'm fine with putting Pellegrini as kind of that 10 in behind um, two forwards and go with Chiesa and maybe a Raspadori and try and see what happens if we can mix it up. You have Di Lorenzo on the right, who I think is underappreciated, to be honest. He can do the work defensively and does contribute offensively as well. So I would be okay with doing that. And on the left side, Di Marco, Di Marco, very, very active. And I have no problems with that either. But I do have problem when Biragi comes in. So again, Yudoji should have definitely been in there. It's just uh, again, that's that's what I would do, anyways. Okay, that's what I. Yeah, would. I think it gives a bit more space for. I mean, it plays well to Raspadori's position, to Nonto's position. I would play. I would actually play Skamaka up front, um, next to whoever plays there. But Chiesa Skamaka, 
I believe should work, but time yeah. will tell. I mean, that's just what I One think. One of the things right. that come up here in this just now is the number 10, and this has been also talked about a lot. We've obviously one of the best. Roberto Baggio, Susanetti coming out <laughs> there the other day and saying that he was the best in his eyes uh, above uh, even our nine and whatnot. And this got brought up a little topic of discussion about the number 10 rule in general. And um, just, I, I've i never bought into this thing that the 10 rule is dead. And I think there's players out there that are playing it. They're just not listed as it. And you don't really see it whatnot. But the number 10 rule itself. And the thought was this. And the comment was, well, you'll never, like, what would you do with a Roberto Baggio in today's day and age? Um with coaches um, going nuts over one touch football and no freedom to roam and positional uh, um, awareness and everything like that. And I said, excuse me, I go, Roberto Baggio. I go, it's simple. You make the space, you make the space. If it's Roberto Baggio, simple, simple. Yes. So I, I had the same discussion with the same guy, I think, two or three days earlier, which I mainly I agree with it for most of it. I think that the football has become a bit too robotic. And if you want to be part of the first team, you have to know exactly what to do. And there's less room for for freedom. Also, from the other side, teams that you play against, they, they have learned to defend a lot better as a unit. So it became a lot harder to draw players out and, and basically to create chances. Now, when... When Pep did it, I mean, he was like the first one who did it and it was perfect and it actually made players shine. But other than that, I don't see a lot of players flourishing under this type of football because they have to be machines. They have to know when to be, when to pass, who to pass to instead of, you know, just lifting their head and see what magic they can produce, which one, which is what we used to see. I know that's an old man rant who watched football in a different time and got used to it. But I, I do think a player like Baggio would still be phenomenal, would still be world-class. But will we get all those fantastic moments that we got because of the freedom he had to, to think for himself and to express his brilliance? Because there are players who are brilliant in football, who read the game well and can do something no one expects and can notice runs no one notices. And that's not something that's easy to, to, to teach other players. So there, well, we are losing something here. That's where I, I mean. get into this. And my thoughts come in that a player will always play the way he plays the game. You don't take that out of a player. Like, it's just you got it or you don't. Like, you don't. But you, you, don't... But you will be benched if you don't fit the system. If you don't yes. fit a system, but again, a coach worth worth his name or whatever, okay, is going to find a way if you've got guys that need to be on the pitch. It's not this number 10 thing makes me laugh too, because it's like these guys are essentially second strikers. That's like they make everybody wants to think about this role as attacking mid. Whatever. Sure, you could use one as an attacking mid. But would you expect a player like that if, it, let's say, it was the characteristics of Roberto Baggio to offer you anything, absolutely anything, in the defensive phase? Absolutely not. 
So you would never position them in that manner. But the number 10s, if we go across the number 10s uh, that made their names in Serie A, whatnot, that were massive, Totti, Del Piero, uh, Roberto Baggio, we'll just take those three for now. Um, Del Piero, second striker to Trez. Like, but, but that's the difference. I mean, second striker... Started off as a winger. Started off as a winger in a 4-3-3. Yeah, that's the young player's trajectory when they have the speed and everything. I think the number 10 is a bit more, you know... You don't need the speed. You just need to be smart and accurate with your passes and long shots. Number but 10. The, the, the number 10 has has become, instead of part of the attack, it became a part of the midfield. So they do have to track back. They do have to change. So they don't play as second strikers like Del Piero and Baggio used to without a defensive uh, But this is what I'm saying. So to say that you can't fit these guys in the modern game anymore oh, is can. bullshit. Of course bullshit. you can. Of course you can. We'll they are sec they are second can. strikers. They can also be you. They don't have to be pinged out on a wing. Dybala's yeah. best was with a strike partner. And with yeah. us, him and Higuain were awesome. Absolutely the awesome. Problem, the problem is that your midfield gets run down because it's mainly a 4-4-2 in the end. You can call it 4-2-3-1, but if the, the number 10 plays as a second striker, that's a 4-4-2 which is a system that kind of died. I mean, we got a glimpse of it with Pirlo and it just it didn't work. We were frustrated with it and they get overrun by a three-man midfield every time. So we, we do lose something there, but I do believe that, of course, you can play these guys. You don't bench these guys because they are number 10s. We have seen players who suffered from it. Isco, James Rodriguez, all those guys, I mean, they, they, they were number 10s. They just weren't up for the defensive duty. They just couldn't do it. And they did play number 10s for their national teams, but less so for their clubs. And it just didn't work out because they didn't have this position. They traded the the attacking midfielder, the number 10, for a number 6, for a regista. Now every team has to have a regista. And it's just not the same. And so, yeah, football has changed to some degree. And there are positions who are no longer the same. It's I mean, also... remember when you had the sweeper? Position. But it's also not a 4-4-2. It doesn't have to be a 4-2. We're playing a 3-5-2. We're using a number 10 role. We're yeah, using a number 10 do. role. Our player chooses to drift out to the wing, but he's playing in a 10 role. We could have used yeah. one of our midfielders. So Miretti could be the one argued to be playing in the 10 role. I would play Pogba in the 10 role. But again, I'm if just he has saying, to do defensive duties... We are, utilized, we are playing a system that would utilize a 10 role, is what I'm saying. But you could argue that Miretti, when he's in the lineup, breaking the lines, is the player playing the 10 role. You could also make the argument, no, Chiesa's playing the 10 role. And the way he interprets it is drifting to his left so that he can invert and whatnot. You can make that argument that either one of those guys. What I'm saying in general is this 10 role thing. This thing has grown to like, it's all bullshit. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Now we're talking about players and now guys that have these types of characteristics or whatever are dead in the game that's bullshit if you're telling no, me a player like and i have to laugh when i hear this shit or i read this shit out there it's like you're telling me a player of this kind of capability is gonna basically not exist or never exist or not get opportunities that's an no 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 joke. and no, then no, he went further as serious. to say then it went further as to say that no, because it would never get to that point because he would be killed in the grassroots stage for that. And I said, what? What are you even talking about? And this is where it got, he said, 
in this world. Okay, so he said worldwide they're training uh, to play one-touch football and be positionally tactical and awareness and whatnot. And I said, I laughed and I said, I can't speak to the world, okay? I can't speak to the world, but I can tell you locally here, and I know very well because I'm close with my friends who run an academy here that has crazy accolades for being run for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years they've been doing it and won a lot with kids and gotten a lot of kids scholarships and whatnot through their program, some uh, into professional academies, okay? Now, I could tell you this, they position these kids, okay, based on what they see out of their skills and abilities. When they put together their teams and they're playing them, they don't have a set system that they play with all these kids. They look at the players they have and the coach that is assigned to that age bracket determines what he wants to do with those kids based on their skills and abilities. But if you had a player that can dribble, that can be the creator or whatnot, he is definitely not told, no, all I want you to do is pass it to this guy when you get the ball in this circumstance or pass here. They do not train them to be robots. So I think, and to make a statement like that, like worldwide, this is what they're training. No. Are they taught positional awareness? Fuck yeah. Do the, is one-touch football sought after? Yeah, they want them to be very comfortable on the ball. But they definitely do not stunt or hinder any player's development or growth based on how they play the game. That's the beautiful part about it, is that a player, and I always I will stick to this, a player will play how he plays the game. What they will do though is shut down scenarios and teach them maybe that's not the time to do a certain dribble or whatever. Maybe take a step up, lift your head up, take a look before making that decision. But to say that and to say that it's worldwide like that was just such a weird comment for me. Look, as far as I know, um, you don't focus on this stuff when you're you know, at that group of age. They focused on, on like other stuff, on playing for the team and the spirit and never say die and all this stuff. They don't uh, subject kids to like tactical boards where you draw, you have to go there when this player, that's bullshit. They work with them. They just let them play their kids. They first need to have fun playing football or they won't do it. And the other things to, the other thing to sum it up is Del Piero or Baggio or Zidane or whoever didn't become good players because they were played in a 10 role. They were good players because they are good players no exactly. matter where you play them. And they just, the, the 10 role suited them best. But it's ludicrous to say you would have never heard of these guys if, if they didn't play a number 10. Exactly. It's just, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to a player's skill and ability. And I just, I, f I found it almost ignorant to say worldwide they're shutting down this role or what? No, they're not shutting down any fucking role. Nobody's shutting down any no. role whatsoever. Now, another thing, okay, that comes up in the same discussion, it just almost flowed in, is modern football, this chase for modern football and possession. Now it's become this battle. Possession football is bullshit and whatnot. Uh, all it comes down to is your players uh, being the best. Listen. This is just a fucking joke. Teams don't, good teams 
don't play in one manner. You have a main philosophy, okay? And your philosophy might be, yeah, we want to control possession. We want to control possession and go from there. And we want to create through that. We want to create a lot and whatnot and at least control the ball and shut down our opponents in that manner. Leave them to just the counters. It doesn't mean that you still can't get stung on a counter or whatnot. But even these teams that believe in that philosophy have games where it doesn't work out and they have to shift. I will always say this. You have your main philosophy, but a strong team, a good team can go through the gears. They can play in more than one fashion, but your main philosophy is whatever you choose it to be. But this belief that possession-based uh, football is bullshit and doesn't succeed or whatever is is nonsense. And now, you know, there's some that are trying to push that now and say, look at these teams that want to make this chase for modern football and it's garbage. The Allegri way, just to use his name or whatever, defense first is the way to get it done, but you need the quality players because at the end of the day, quality will always trump your style or philosophy. Well, no shit. Because if you put together a group of kids against any professional team, the kids aren't going to win because they're not up to the quality. So no kidding, quality is going to always trump. But it doesn't mean that this philosophy is garbage. It could be fantastic given the players you have. But sometimes, even if that's your philosophy, you're going to have to change because there might be a team that's better than you on a certain particular day. And how many, how many goals are... Are like the the outcome of of possession based games because a lot of goals are just you know comes down to player superiority I mean corner kick goals we get a lot of them we don't play it, it has nothing to do with the way you play it, it has something to do with just a corner or set piece all goals from set pieces counter attacks are sometimes lucky that the ball landed at the, at the feet of the guy who got it so yeah. it, it's a mix of Of everything I don't like when team ha- when some teams have just a specific set of things to do and that's what they do and they die on that hill no matter if they win or lose you gotta shift that's a credit I give to pep he knows how to tweak his team and uh, based on the opponent he plays against if his system doesn't work he has like a bottom shelf plan that he can use all the time and he kind of reinvents himself uh, almost every season with minor things here and there. That's what the others don't do. I mean, I do agree. There are teams who are doing it really bad and just, you know, passing back to the sides and holding the ball for 70% with creating two chances in 90 minutes. That sucks. That, that's just not fun to watch for anyone. I'm sure it's not fun for the players who are playing the match. I'm just more at the fact that it, philosophy is just that, a philosophy. Modern football. Like... Are you telling me that way back in the day there weren't teams that controlled possession and dominated possession for the majority of their games? Of course there was. Hmm. It's not something new. It's not like, all of, oh, modern football, they want to control the ball, whatever. There's a ton of fucking teams that wanted to control the ball through football when it started. I mean, this isn't something yeah. new. It's not like, so this whole modern football whatnot. No, it's just exactly that, a philosophy. It's one of several philosophies, but it ultimately comes I... down to Who you're playing what you're going up against and can you accomplish 
what you want to accomplish. And I think the reason some of these managers get shot down when they fail is because of what I said before. What makes a good team, a strong team, exactly that is the fact that they have plan B. They have sometimes plan C and they know how to transition into those plans based on what's happening in a match. Okay, I, I dare anyone, in my opinion, the, the best manager ever, you know, being objective, is Alex Ferguson. I dare anyone to tell me what was his philosophy. No idea. What, what was Lippi's philosophy on the field? He knew how to give players, I mean, get them in the right mood There was mood games, stuff, Lippi, but... we would be guns blazing. And there was games, we grind. There was, like, you'd see it all. But that's the thing is like the gears, it's the gears. Like you can have a philosophy, a main philosophy you want to abide by, but you have to know when you can't play that manner against certain guys or certain teams when it's not going to work and you have to switch it up. And that's all I'm saying yeah. is why I think some of these guys are getting shot down. They're seen as modern football. It's not modern football. They just want to possess the ball for the majority. But the problem with, I think some of these managers up and coming is they get the hype when it works. But yeah. when it doesn't, if you're looking at those games, it's because they haven't been able to establish an alternative because their plan went to shit. And chasing after that plan is maybe part of the reason we don't have a lot of good defenders in Italy. Because they are all pushing for attacking football and they, want, and they, they say that that's what brings uh, fans into the stadium, which is also bullshit. It brings neutral fans to the stadium. If I'm going to a match, I'm going because I love Juve. I, it has nothing to do with uh, how they play. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they are Italianos, the Zerbis, and I, it's not that they're bad managers, but they're not like a complete package. You don't get a fully functional team with them. You get a great attacking team. Yeah. You also get a team who thinks defensive is op defend defending is optional, and it's not as important as attacking. So the balance is gone, and then they, they are brilliant against uh, Spezia or Fruzinone, and then they get thrashed 4-0 by Inter because they don't know how to defend when they need to. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Get your Storm the Barn questions in now, everybody. All right, we are coming to that time. We are going to chat Juve real quick. So we appear to be dodging a bullet with Federico Chiesa, all right? But, I mean, still, we're going to know more in the coming days as he's set to get more. Would you play him? Would you play him against Lazio? Well, this is just it. We got to know way more information and whatnot, okay? But, like, what we got to look at now is... Weah and McKenney will probably be late. Juve's trying to negotiate getting them sent back earlier. There's already been talks about Cambiasso potentially playing on the right side. Federico Chiesa obviously becomes in doubt. Who would you play? Let's say Chiesa can't go. How would you line up the team? Let's say Weah and McKenney show up late. How do you line up against Lazio? There's already there's already talks that uh, Allegri's looking at moving into a four-man back line because of Cambiasso. And whatnot. So number one, keep it the same three five two. Yes or no? Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that change after an international break against Lazio. Yes. Just beat Napoli. No, no. Change. I'm with you. That's not keep the it the same as as far as the formation. Now, if you're gonna go with out Chiesa, how do you line us up? Without Chiesa, still three five two. The way the way we played, I think the defense is pretty self explanatory. 
just no Sandro. I don't give a shit who are the other guys. Um, so no way I'm a Kenny. Um, I would probably try uh, Cambiasso on the right. I think I'd go Kostic on the left. Because I don't think uh, both Cambiasso and Ealing are a good match on both sides just yet. Uh, mainly defensively. Because they also have to deal with, uh, with annoying players. I mean, Felipe Anderson is a phenomenal player. I don't want the youngster going up against him. So I would play Kostic. I think I'd start King. You know? Miretti, Lucatelli, Rabio, okay. I don't know if Pogba is available, but definitely won't start. I think I'd start King with Vlahovic, just because he, he looks better. I... I'm thinking the same. If Kiesa can't go, I'd probably put Moise Keane yeah. up top there. I, I haven't liked us playing two strikers, no matter the combination, but I'd probably go Keane. Yeah, but Keane has, still has the ability to, to play a bit more on the wing, and he has the speed, and he has maybe Milik has better ball control and understanding of the game. But at least at the beginning, someone to stretch the defense. Uh, if Chiesa is not doing it, then I take in. If we were really wild, then Ildis, but I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, we got um, a question coming in here. Did I see uh, Wea's goal assisted from McKenny? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, McKenny becoming uh, Zlatan in what's the that? area suddenly. Becoming Zlatan in the area suddenly. Yeah, so McKenny settling it down, having a maze of players around him, finding uh, Wea there who slotted uh, far post there. De definitely saw it there. Um, in terms of uh, the midfield against Lazio, I think Fajoli's got to be in there. Uh, Miretti went to U21 duty. There were uh, rumors about some potential muscle fatigue and whatnot. I think you've got to go with uh, Fajoli in this game against Lazio at the start. It's going to be interesting because something I've highlighted even through just three matches here is they're playing it completely different. Miretti breaking the lines and Fajoli not playing it in that manner. I would love to see him playing in that manner, but that hasn't been how it's been working out. We'll see, but I think you got to go with Fajoli. Locatelli. Rabio's coming back from France duty as well, but uh, yeah, I'd probably go with that midfield that was our top midfield last season. I'd go with those three. And then Keane, if Chiesa can't go up top. Pogba, we got to get ready for cameos for quite some time. It's kind of the way it is. Yeah. Kind of the way it is. Yeah, nothing's going to change here. In terms of some other... Uh, so, essentially, Rodrigo DePaul has now maybe potentially replaced uh, Sergei Malinkovic-Savage for the rumor that we're going to get all the time now. As uh, now rumors spark up that we can make a move for him in January or whatnot. Uh, listen, I'm not buying into anything uh, right now. And it's funny how things change and management changes and you have Juntali in, but these targets all remain the same. I'm not really not really going to put too much weight on anything said now as far as what's going to happen in January. The main thing is we've saved a ton of money and we continue to look to do so. The next step for Juve is extensions. Now, I want to ask you this question, Omar, and everybody in the live chat, you guys, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this because this has been what we've been hearing for the past week. The main thing in the news is extending contracts to bring down the salaries. So Chesney is up for that. And right away, people are saying, do not extend them. Do not extend them. Just let it ride out. But they're trying to bring the salaries down. I said, I don't necessarily have a problem bringing them down 
to that five range because I think you're still going to find a move for him. And he also said, I, I, this one stuck with me. He said, I want to finish my contract with Juventus. I will go as long as, or I will stay as long as they will have me. If they decide to sell me, that's a different story. Like he essentially said, I will be here as long as they will have me. To me, if a move came and you could do it a lot easier if he's on a lower salary, I don't necessarily have a fear in the extension to bring the salary down with Tech. Um, we'll start there. Vlaovic is another player looking to extend to bring his salary down. And then there's players we're looking to contract extensions for different reasons. Adrian Rabio keeping him around. Gatti uh, to give him a pay increase. And then Houston to welcome him into the first team. But let's start off with Tech there. Any fears in doing that? Okay, I don't like the idea. I mean, that that's the type of stuff that got us uh, Sandro and Bonucci and Kadira at the time and all those guys staying longer than we wanted them. But since Ch uh, Chesney said it, I mean, his mentality is a bit different. He'll be here as long as you will want him. But if you were tell him he wants to sell him, I don't think he'll, at least by his words, I don't think he'll put up any fight, uh, which is what I expect from all of those guys. Um, so I hope uh, Chesney will keep true to his word. Um, I, I'm not a financial master. I don't know how, you know, extending, but uh, dividing the salary on multiple years will affect exactly Juve's balance sheet. Maybe it'll give him a bit more breathing room uh, every summer. Uh, but when you look at the deal in total, it's worth more money, but we're working one year at a time. Um, Issues, I want to see Chesney leave. I think it's time for some new blood and go for Karnaseki or whoever. Some ships has already sailed. There were rumors about you were trying to figure out a way to bring Donnarumma back to Serie A. Um, so there were a lot of talks. Since I'm doing the news with uh, Lou, God bless his soul, um, we, immediately when the transfer deadline ended, on the same day, it became... Uh, assumptions by all journalists so it's really hard to tell what's right and what's wrong they're just saying what they think would happen but there, are, there is no concrete information from anyone about anything yeah so take it all with a you know a pinch of salt i don't have a problem with the extension for tech uh extending a year to bring it down to five that way if you have to move them you can easier i don't really have a problem with that because even if we had to keep them I still say he's 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 one of the top keepers out there. Like, is he considered world class? I would say yeah. I would say he's a world class keeper. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, say that. And I actually missed him when we brought up the question. It's hilarious. Uh, Ron Rasitano. Um, he's always in here, not here today uh, for whatever reasons. Um, but he brought it up when I said, "Who's world class on Juventus?" For me, it's. Pogba and Chiesa, but I forgot Tech, and I should say Tech. Tech is world-class. I think we have a couple other players that are close on the brink, but I think Tech tech is world-class. I would consider okay, so him a world-class keeper. I think the way to look at it and consider someone you know world-class, one of the best, is if you look at every other team, if he moves to any of the bigger teams uh, in Europe, 
Is he a starting goalkeeper or is he going to the bench? Is he better than the goalkeeper that's already there? I think you have and, to say that with the majority because you can't just pick a couple of the best and say, because oh, again, no, there's with a the lot of factors team. that play into that with financial whatnot. But if he's okay, in the he's, mix with those top teams, sure. Let, let's take the I'd top. say if you can if you can go to the majority, if you can go to the majority and whatnot, and I also look at it from performance oh, base, like for Pogba Kiesa, for Pogba and Kiesa, are they world-class right now? I think... If you're talking skill and ability-wise, yes. But impact for me is the biggest thing. Pogba is world-class because when he's in the lineup, he makes a dramatic impact. And same, vice versa. When you take a player out, does it have a big impact? Chiesa being out has a big impact for us. It does. So I say world-class. Also world-class because I think Chiesa established he is a world-class talent. He needs to get back to that whatnot. But I still consider them both world-class talents. Chesney, I think the majority of teams you put him on, he's going to be your keeper. Yeah. I, I agree. I just gave my, my measurement yeah. of someone being world-class. Yeah. So let's take like the six top teams from every league. From the five big leagues, let's say eight big leagues. Throw in, uh, if you want, Portugal and the Netherlands. And yeah, he starts from most of these teams. Yeah. And this is what I'm speaking to. So I I don't agree because I think we're talking about current form versus being a world-class player. Pogba for me is a world-class player. His current form isn't where we need it to be, but he's a world-class player for yeah, me. When, when, when he's healthy and playing regularly, um, yeah. But I, I still think, I kind of agree with Mark. He has something to prove. It's not so established as it once was. Take him three, four years back, 2018, yeah, 100% one of the best midfielders in the world. And yeah. now he's been away for so long that he needs to prove himself again and to prove that he is worth the money and that injury wasn't, you know, career-ending for him. And he can still play at the highest levels, but I do agree that he needs he has to like reprove it to everyone. Yeah. We're Juve fans. I mean, we we love our players and we love Pogba and we have connection. But the neutral guys, they don't seem that way anymore. And I think we have to take their their opinion, you know, to some degree. To, to I got a fun objective. question coming up with Fajoli. Okay, a fun question, everybody, uh, re regarding uh, Fajoli. And yeah, we of course hope uh, he becomes uh, a world class player. Uh, and no, Eric, I'm going to disagree. Um, Pedin coming in and uh, no, 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 no. He fills in smoothly, but Pedin's not uh, not to world class. I don't. It, it, Pedin, let's put it this way. He would be taken up and he would be scooped up if he was at that uh, that echelon. There's a reason and injuries for him, maybe whatnot. Like he's a good keeper, but injuries probably hurt him from ever reaching where he needed to go because he never tested himself to that ability and coming to Juve and being backup doesn't make him world-class. Like if he came to Juve to fill in the shoes of Gianluigi Buffon, that's a different story like Tech did and actually did so quite well. But Pirlo went back to Buffon, but that's because Buffon is a freak. Okay. That's because Buffon's a freak, but Storm the Barn from uh, Eric. We got to get to this. How many matches does Spalletti have 
if he doesn't qualify before the Federation turns on him. I'd be surprised if uh, he's not given uh, a decent run. Like, I don't actually think the qualification is going to bear any weight on his term, to be quite honest. That's how I feel about it. What do you think, Omar? Yeah, I think they'll stick with him for at least, like, two tournaments, 24 and 26. And if he doesn't make it to any of them or gets eliminated early, then he's probably out. But I don't think they'll pull the trigger that early after making because they did have that beef with, uh, what's his name, De Laurentiis, who wanted $3 million to have him play, and they did fight for him and, you know, came up with this big announcement. I don't think they'll track back after a failed qualification. Not a lot is because of him. I mean, we yeah. just started. Let's wait and see. And that's kind of how I feel too. I mean, he's going to get a run and I kind of, to Mark's sentiments about um, the talent. uh, Yeah, there's some talent issues and whatnot. I think uh, Chiesa would have been uh, a help there, but I'm actually not uh, terribly concerned that he didn't play on that uh, potato patch there yesterday. Now, Storm the Barnes, if you got any more, keep them firing. Omer, do you have anything to get into before I get to the fun little uh, Fajoli question there? Mm, no, no, nothing too special. Okay. So, Padovano, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Zinedine Zidane, Lilian Turam, Olivia Capo, Grigera, mm-hmm. Pirlo, Dibala, Hawaitis, Pinsolio. Iguain, Caio Giorgi, and now Nicolo Fagioli. Okay. Mm. 21, they... the number 21. All right. Oh, I thought you were going to ask what they all have in common, and I had to guess. The number 21. Where will Nicolo Fagioli finish amongst the ranks of players to where? 21 for Juventus. Okay. A little fantasy question here. Yeah, I I don't think he'll reach, you know, the... Well, it it a lot depends on the time, mainly. Like, if if Tonali can leave Milan, I wouldn't be surprised if Juve don't hold on to Fajoli for for too long. So if he's like doing it for 10 years, he might surpass uh, Pirlo because Pirlo's stint was short. Um, I don't think he'll be better than Zidane, better than Dybala, better than Pirlo. He'll definitely be better than Grigera, Capo, Padovano. Um, so I think he'll finish like in the upper half if he stays at Juve. Um, and if things work out, a lot can depend on the manager we'll have. I mean, if Allegri is still here and not here next season. It, like you said, it's fantasy. I think he'll finish a bit. Well, let's go through no, this. So not in Zidane's going to take tier. number one. Zidane's going to be one. Yeah, Zidane's going to be number one. Zidane's going to be one. Okay. So you got one, you got Zizou. Two, are you going to slap Pirlo there? Even though it was can a I, short uh, session there? Can I put two guys together? Go ahead. At the same position? So Dybala and Pirlo together at number two. Hmm. 
Yeah, because Dybala was longer and like Pirlo started that whole Italian thing, uh, that whole Juve thing, but um, Dybala kept it going for more years. Where do you got Lillian Taram in here? Um, I kind of have a sour taste with him when he went to Barcelona. I know. Yeah, but to his credit, like the player he was, right now he's number three. Fajoli has a lot to prove, so uh, I would put Fajoli behind Turam. I don't think he'll have the exact same effect Turam has had. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know if I have Dybala ahead of Turam. Yeah, yeah, definitely Dybala ahead of Turam. For me. Ah, I don't know if I do. I think that's I think that's more emotions. Well, that, that's that's an interesting question because Dybala became a 10 after yeah. what was it like two seasons? So he was 21. But man, Dybala was Nazareth. money with the original cut, the original haircut and everything. Yeah, he yeah. he was pretty he was pretty pretty special. You know, that's when you bring Yeah, that's a tight that's a, a tight one hype. there. Yeah. But I think I think Fajoli's going to be just below those group there, obviously. Uh but Iguain. Yeah, but when Iguain was 21, it was when Ronaldo was here. And he already went to Milan and Chelsea and came okay, back. Okay, but Dybala was only 21 great. for 15, 16, right? Yeah, so that's the question I'm asking. Is it the whole time or just the player and his time at Juve? He Wearing that team. number before the switch? Because yeah. obviously Iguain 9 was way, way better than Iguain 21. But Iguain 21 was still yeah. good. I think he had the shortest spell out of all those guys at Juve. That's why I would put him. I mean, Fajoli out, yeah, he's right there behind Turam. But um, guessing Fajoli, uh, I think Fajoli will surpass him in the eyes of the fans. Tony Trim putting him just a step below Pirlo by the end of it. Okay. Mark saying top eight. Zidane, Pirlo, Dybala. Mm. Turam. For Tony Trim, just below Pirlo and Nibala. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's fun. No, I think we're talking about players that their iconic number was 21 and not guys who like took it because their original number wasn't available. No. Everybody in okay. that group. Pinsolio. Okay. <laughs> well, not number one on the bench. I mean, he, I think he has less than a match under his belt if you add up all his minutes, all the minutes he played for Juve in a in an actual match, not friendlies. I don't think it sums up to one match. So now, let's put him like on the side bracket. You can only pick one out of these midfielders, Zidane and Pirlo. Who do you pick and why? To this current Juve? Just in general. You're forming a team. You can only pick between Zidane or Pirlo. Who do you pick? Why? Wow. <laughs> Everybody I in the chat, it's... let's go. You can only pick one. Who are you taking? Zidane or Pirlo? I think it will be Zidane. I mean, Pirlo was phenomenal, brilliant. He needed uh, Gattuso or um, uh, Vidal and Marquisio next to him to really show what he's worth. Zidane was a one-man show. No matter who he played with, he was always just a spectacle to watch. 
I don't even have to think twice about this one. And as much as I love Pirlo, it's Zinedine Zidane. This yeah. guy is an absolute, like he was just crazy to watch. This guy at international level dominated teams single-handedly. Mm-hmm. And Pirlo, to his credit, had a few of those performances himself. But Zidane is just like, he's unbelievable. For me, it's it's He, it's he was the guy for the biggest occasions of them all. The yeah. biggest matches you had, you you put in Zidane. They're all across history. Like if you ask me for players who are money whenever you need them, well, I know how his career ended, but that's just the guy that scores uh, volley with his weak foot in the Champions League final. That's just him. Yeah. Yeah. The and, guy who uh, does a Panenka in a World Cup final. I mean... Even his headbutts are fucking huge. So it's it's yeah. Zidane. It's, it's Zidane. part of him. Come it's on. part of him. Come on. But yeah, you got to pick one of the two. Yeah, Zidane's going to take Pirlo. Um, but uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it, it's not a comparison, Eric. It's just if you had to choose one, who would it be? Yeah, it's not... Team? We're not comparing the players. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, they are both central midfielders and both essentially running the show for their respected nations and clubs and whatnot. So yeah, Zidane was just, he had certain elements that Pirlo didn't have when it came to like the dribbling and the penetration in the area. And that was just a whole nother element. Like Zidane literally was so complete. He could do everything Pirlo could, but he also had, that drive to him in that advanced game in the final third that was cutting the head game. The head game was a big thing for him. And Everything. He was, was complete. Yeah, fast, strong, good technique, good long shot, volleys, hitters. I mean, you name it, he can do it all. Yeah. Like, Pirlo silky and whatever, and so smooth and so strong on the ball and everything. But, yeah, you're getting that plus... A whole nother element, right? Here's one coming in from Mark Pirlo or Modric. Hmm. That's also an interesting one. I love both of these guys, okay? Yeah, yeah. Like I mean it's I, really like hard Modric. not to appreciate Modric and what is for his national team and for the clubs he played at. Um I pick Pirlo because Juve and Italy and stuff, but I mean that's not the same Modric. It's not just as good and just as influential. Yeah, this one's uh, for me. I, I go with uh, Pirlo on this one, and I'll give him the edge on that. Um, and not just because of Juve tie, when not. I think there's probably a little more in terms of the set piece and everything. A little bit more of a specialist there. I'll give him the slight edge, uh, but. Modric is just class too, man. I, I wish brought... every player on the team would be would have Modric mentality. We all know Everybody who brought Zidane team. to UV. Beautiful. <laughs> the one and only. Yeah. The cigar what? guy. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, guys, another one. Last one. Annie Storm the Barnes. Do you want to make a fantasy style question before we wrap things up and say goodbye to everybody, Omer? Fantasy style. Do you want to pick another random number that I give you the history on? Mm, number 10 is pretty easy. Number 9 could be interesting. Let's go with number 11. 
11. Let's see what we have in the 11 pool. Well, it is Kostic as of now. There is a ton of players to wear number 11. Okay. I mean, okay. I'm going to just... Get, should I get into like the 80s at least and skip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Let's okay, start... Maybe it's only Nedved, but... Let's start with the legend himself, okay? Who I had the pleasure to interview, okay? Again, brought to us from the UV of uh, official fan clubs of North America, okay? If you're not a member of a fan club, even if you're not in North America, want to join a fan club, reach out. I'll put you in touch with some fantastic people. This weekend, they were taking advantage of international break. I saw a bocce tournament. I saw pickup games being played with these clubs on incredible <laughs> setups. Awesome, awesome stuff. But... Betega goes Betega, Bonini, Boneic, okay, Laudrup, uh, Massimo Moro, Schilacci, uh, Diagostini, Di Cagno, Corini, Fortunato, Casiraghi, uh, Marocchi. Then you get into Andreas Moller, Ravanelli, uh, Zoran Ban, Dino Baggio, uh, Marocchi. Del Piero, Tacchinardi, Ravanelli, Jugovic, Antonio Conte, Padovano, Fonseca, Nedved, Amauri, Decelli, Kingsley Coleman, Hernanez, Douglas Costa, Juan Cuadrado, and Philip Costage. Wow. Okay, so right off the bat, I mean, Amauri is number one. No, no, no question. <laughs> Tops. Dicelli? You're going to do Dicelli dirty like that? Um, uh, what can I do? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I love the guy, but still, Amari uh, was something special. No, if we're going to do this clear, as uh, number Nedved 11, number you have to do it as number 11, okay? Okay, and I can I think... only attest to, to players that I have watched play. I mean, I know how important Boniak was and what, what he was for you. Betiga, Laudrup, Skilachi. You know, it's going to get pretty crazy. Let's start in the mid-90s with, uh, let's say, Ravanelli. So Ravanelli, okay. Baggio, uh, Marocchi, Del Piero, Tacchinardi, Ravanelli, Jugovic, Conte, Padovano, Fonseca, Nedved, Dicelli, Amari, Coleman, Hernanez, Costa, Cuadrado, Costic. Well, I will say Ravanelli. What's that? What a drop-off after Nedved. Nedved's going to go top... I think Ravanelli's going to go second. Del Piero barely wore it. Conte barely wore it. Those are just a uh, couple uh, situational things there, given uh, tournaments or something. Um, yeah, for me, it's Nedved, Ravanelli, and then probably get into uh, maybe... Well, Jugovic only wore for a bit too, so... Jugovic. Mm. Man, that's probably it. Then it gets to maybe Quadrado. Yeah. I actually have nothing to add. That's exactly the least. I mean, that's Nedved probably how I'd go with those guys on the pick. 11. But man, crazy how many people were that number. And they used to switch them so much when you get into like 70s and 80s and whatnot. They were like interchanging numbers like crazy. Even in the early 90s, like you'll find certain players. 
even Del Piero, for instance, you'll find all the numbers he wore, 16 being another one. I think that's where he originally, yeah, his first one was 16 um, that Del Piero rocked. But 16's got, again, it'll have Ravanelli, it'll have Tacchinardi in there. Not the number Tacchinardi was known for, but again, he was in there. So, missing Douglas Costa. Love that spark. Last final question for fun. We were talking Zidane. We were talking Pirlo and not. We get into these numbers. Del Piero comes up. You've got your life on the line. It's a PK. You can pick any player, okay, past, present for Juventus to take that kick for you. Who do you choose? Statistically, Balotelli. Um... <laughs> past Juve player? No, he's not a Euro player. <laughs> um, yeah, Ronaldo, Del Piero, Pirlo, Vidal was phenomenal at penalties. I think he barely missed. Um, no, come on. How can I not pick Del Piero? Yeah, pick an ADP I mean, to save your life. If, if Baggio scored that one in the World Cup, <laughs> that that's an easy answer, but it feel oh, a little bit yeah. better if he did to say yeah. Your life. <laughs> yeah. A bit Not better. to say DP yeah. didn't miss uh, some, but CR was uh it was a killer from the spot, probably automatic. By the way, still to this day, not in their prime. I mean right now in this day I'd still take Del Piero over everyone. Yeah. But deep. yeah, Ronaldo, I mean I can easily take Ronaldo and uh, and I'll rest easy knowing I'll stay alive. Yeah. Well, Wraps things you up, have, everybody. If you have to pick one to save a penalty for your life, who is it? Oh, come on. Come on. See? It's exactly the same. Yeah, it is the exact same. But of course, it'd be <laughs> Superman. And the new merch tribute to Buffon, who's retired, is available in the merch source. Thank you to everybody who's choosing to support us in that manner. All right? Stuff's out there. It's great stuff. Check it out. Obviously, we got the Superman uh ties in there on one of the designs so show some love that way all right uh but enjoy the rest of the international break take it for what it is let's hope no injuries come uve's way let's hope for the best for federico chiesa looks like we dodged a bullet there hopefully he can go for lazio but that's a big one and that's going to be a measuring stick game that's the first measuring stick match for juventus I know Lazio started off not too hot, but they looked very impressive in their victory over Napoli. You never know what you're going to expect out of Lazio. And uh, we got to be ready one way or another. But that's the first big one for Juve right after the break. You guys know what's to come. It, Match day live. I'll do a watch along. We'll be ready to rock for that one. It is, it is important to know that they are playing Atletico Madrid right after in the Champions League. So that may be on their mind as well. And there you go. So... Measuring stick. We, uh, let's see how we do. Last let's season, see. we beat them 3 nothing at the first match. Let's hope for a repeat. Let's see how we do. Mark, thank you very much. And yes, NFL kicking off for us North Americans. We had the Thursday match, but today, all the action. Good luck in your fantasy leagues. All right. Get ready for Fantacalcio to kick back after the international break as well. We're going to review our top 10 on the match day live for Lazio and see who took the lead from me out of the AJC panel, had a massive, massive week. But everybody, enjoy the rest of the international break. We'll be back getting ready for Lazio in no time. I'll still bring you the daily news updates, as always, no matter what. And 
no Juve, no party. All right, so fino alla fine, forza Juve. Ciao a tutti. Take care, everybody. Yeah.